Well, good morning, everyone. I love everything that I just saw. In fact, I didn't. I, I was late getting up on stage because I was over just talking. I love it when you just start hugging. And and now, if you're brand new and 30 people just hugged you, I apologize. <laughs> you know. But I love it when our family gets together, just shaking hands and saying, it's so good to see you. That's one of the cornerstones. It's one of the best things that we do. I love it when people come and they'll write notes all the time and, or they'll send me an email. I visited your church. We're from out of town or it's the first time we ever came. And I cannot believe how friendly First City Church is. And you are, man, God bless you. And it's one of the best things about us. It's one of the best things about our family, how we support each other, how we love each other. Thank you so much. In fact, today we're going to talk about one of the things that really helps us when we come together, just making sure that we keep this relationship and this community among us strong. Uh, before I get into all that, I want to say thank you for what happened Wednesday night when we did our foster care lift experience. For those of you who came Wednesday night, it was storming, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, it was, it was lightning, it was pouring. Even those who, you, you remember, Lori, when we were coming downstairs, it was a river of water pouring. I mean, it was over the top of our shoes. And I'm like, oh, God, what is going on? You could have at least given us good weather. But it was almost like heaven was just, just crying over these broken lives. And when we were upstairs and just the spirit that was in the room and those who came and, and we went through the whole foster care experience, if you weren't there, we did this experience of what it would be like to be a foster child who's been removed from a home and not knowing what is going to happen next and what are we as a church going to come together and do so that we can bless those children and secure them into a healthy life and in uh, relationships for the future. And over 150 people showed up in the middle of all of that storm. A bunch of people signed up. Man, God bless you. If you were not able to come and you're still wondering, how can I get involved in all that? We'll have more signups later. In fact, we're going to come up with a list of 40 or 50 ways anybody can get involved with foster care. Just providing diapers or praying you know, or, or donating, babysitting, cutting grass. There's, there's so many different ways you can get involved. And thank you, thank you, man, thank you for just showing up here Wednesday night. It was such a blessing, and, and may God bless you. Okay, so if you're new, you've only been coming here for a few weeks, or maybe this is your first week. First City Church really runs on two parallel tracks. The first one is how can we, as a body, as a church, equip you, strengthen you, help you, support you, be a strong Christian. Be the best version of you that you can be. How can we secure you in the Lord, deepen you in your relationship with God and our relationships with each other, and equip you so that no matter what happens in your life, you're prepared? And so that's the first track, is we want to make sure that you are growing up in all things as it pertains to life and godliness and God and marriages and relationships and just that God is really growing you. The second track is now how can we come together and do something in the name of God, in the name of Jesus, just for his glory. Just go into our community and do something that's going to impact other people outside of us. So it's not enough just so that we're growing in our own relationship with God. That's good. But we do that for a reason, for a purpose. God has designed us to go lead this world into a deeper relationship with him. 
And everything we do falls under one of those two tracks. So today, we're going to talk about that first track. What can we do? In fact, what's one of the best things that we do that deepens your walk with God and equips you for anything that could come up in your life? And so we're going to talk about small groups. Now, if you have the outline, we have this outline in front of you, and you can get it and, and begin to look at it. I was listening to Francis Chan, and he had this one really good, one, just one good thought about what is the backbone of church. And, and, and his point was, the way that America is headed, it's almost like they're trying to shut down anything that could be controversial. And people are like, uh, we're used to, we would get in a room and we'd have an idea, we would debate the idea, you know, and then, and then it, respect each other through that process. It's like, man, people are shutting things down and more and more and more. Christianity, the principles, the precepts of Christianity is starting to be called hate speech, non-inclusive. What would happen, it was his point, in our world if all of a sudden Christianity became illegal like it happened in Russia or in China? What would happen if our society moved away from the things of God? What would happen to you? What would happen to churches? What would happen to Christianity in America? It's a, it's a good question. This is how I know that the home and small groups, which we're going to talk about all today, is the backbone of the, the growth and the strength of the church. This gathering here is fantastic. We come here to tell God, thank you for what you've done. Thank you for the way that you've secured my life. Thank you for the forgiveness of sin and separating it from me. And we come here because we partner together to do something in the name of Jesus just for the glory of God. But the strength is in the home. Okay, so let's look at these two nations. Let's look at Russia and China. When Russia made their decision that they were going to make Christianity illegal, and if you go back and look through history, and they were like, we're going to stamp out all of Christianity other than our government-run Orthodox church. What they did is, is religion in Russia was all structured around high church. Big buildings, cathedrals, people would go. There were professional clergy, and they would perform all of the ceremony. People would contribute, and then they would go home. And so in Russia, everything centered around these big gatherings and these big, beautiful uh, Orthodox buildings. And, and then they would, they would leave. So when Christianity became illegal, then it, it almost, it, it essentially died in all of Russia outside of the government controlled some of those Orthodox buildings in, in larger cities. And so Christianity in Russia almost went to nothing. When I went there in my first mission trip to Russia, and I went on several of them, it was in 1991, right after, you know, the, the fall of communism and, and uh, all that stuff happened. And it was unbelievable. And when we walked into this one building, there were like five, 600 people. And we brought in these Bibles. They rushed the stage. We had to back away. They tore open the boxes all because they wanted a Bible. And as soon as they got a Bible, they ran back. Most of them stayed. Some of them took off. It was like, I've got this new you know, treasure. And, and, and they were still scared that they were being watched and somehow they were going to be punished. 
They were, this was in Siberia where a lot of bad things happened. But that was the state of Russia. So Christianity in that state where the big assembly was the focal point and Christianity just about died out in that nation. Now let's look at China. When the same thing happened over in China and Christianity became illegal, the backbone of the church of Christianity in China was not in these big buildings. It was in homes. It was where Christian men and women taught the word of God to other men and women and taught them how to read the word of God, how to deepen their own faith, and how to share it with others. And so at the same time, when Christianity fell and became illegal, so that people were thrown in jail or killed because of that religious belief, as best we can tell, Christianity in China grew from 2 million Christians to over 80 million Christians. Why? Same situations. One, because of Russia, it was about the building. But in China, it was all about relationships in the home gathered around the word of God. That's the strength of the church. That's the strength of this church. And if we ever lose that, then we're really going to lose something very valuable, very precious. And so that's why First City Church doesn't just have small groups. We are a church of small groups. We are a collection of small groups. And when we gather here on Sundays, it is to praise the name of Jesus, tell him thank you, and then decide what are we now going to go do in ministry into our community to take this love that God has given us and share it with everybody else. Now let's break it down. Why should we have small groups? If you have the outline in the pew rack in front of you, get it out. And so the first point is gather together to give support. We gather together to support each other. And, and, just, and so small groups is not necessarily even all the time that it's something that you need. There are times in your life when something hits you or tragedy happens in your family. And you need people to love you through whatever difficulty it is that you're going through. There are other times when you're the strong one and you're going to come in and support other people who are going through a hard time. So gather together to give support. Hebrew says it this way. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Now there's the two parallel tracks in one verse. We gather to motivate each other so that we can go do what God has called us to do. He continues. And let's not neglect our meeting together as some people do. But encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. He's like, there are people who don't value it. They, and he said, they're, they're going to be the ones to suffer. If you don't value these gatherings, you're going to find there's something missing in your life. I don't know how people do it. How they go through life without a strong support structure. Without people they can call whenever their world is falling apart. Who are going to help them stand when it's just... I, I, when you're weak and when the world is beating down on you. And then he ends it by saying, because the time of his appearing is coming. There's, our time is short on this earth. Amen? And the older I get, the more I realize it. I mean, I'm getting old. And, and, and my body, is, is, I'm breaking down. And that, right, I mean, I see a couple of heads nodding at me like, boy, I tell you, you know, I just think about turning fast and I got a crick in my neck. I can't, I, I'll, you know, I'll pull a muscle just getting out of my truck, 
And, and, and so the older you get, the more your body breaks down. We don't see like we used to see. We don't hear like we used to hear. We're not as strong as we used to be. Our backs don't hold up. Our knees become weak. We're having more surgeries. Every time we get together and people are used to, they'd say, how are you doing? You're like, man, I'm great. I'm strong. Life is good. Work is good. And you get my age, you're like, how are you doing? Well, <laughs> my back, my elbow, my knee, my surgery. It's like, okay. God did not design our bodies to live forever. You've only got a small amount of time to glorify God in everything you do. You will never regret the time that you spend doing something in the name of Jesus with your life. And time is short. And so we've got to take advantage of every opportunity. And here he's like, man, there are people who are missing it. They're, they're running past all these opportunities that they should be taking advantage of. My dad, I had a conversation with my dad yesterday on the phone. And for those of you who are new, my dad, uh, he's going to turn 80 this November. Uh, damn, go rock, rock and roll dad. So, uh, so he called me because at, at the church where he goes in Nashville, they asked him if he would get up and just talk about what Jesus meant to him as they're getting prepared to take communion today. So right now, while we speak, or maybe in this last hour, my father's been speaking to some people in Nashville about his walk with God, why it means a lot to him. Now, I'm going to cry, but forget all that. I'm a girl. Not that being a girl is bad. <laughs> I shouldn't have said it that way, right? I just... I cry the drop of eye. That's okay. I used to be so, and never cried. And God has just melted me down. He's been so good to me. My dad, I was, we were just in this conversation. And he's like, hey, Ritty boy. I'm like, hey, dad, how are you doing? Well, tomorrow I get to just brag on Jesus. <laughs> My dad has stage four cancer. He's had it for five years. The doctors fully expected him to die five years ago. And he's still alive, praise God. And I just get to celebrate that with my father. God's been so good to my father. And he's like, I get to share with people. I get to tell them what Jesus means to me. And he's like, you know, I'm going to do it around this communion. And it's around Passover feast. And where Moses and the Israelites, where God led them out of Egyptian captivity. And he set them free. And how Jesus does that with our sin and in our world. And he's like, you remember that? You remember when Jesus did Passover? Yes, like, yeah, Dad. And they would hold up those cups. Yes, Dad. And they would celebrate, man, God saved us. And they would drink the cup of salvation. And he's freed us from all of that stuff that held us down. And God, man, has God freed me. He has freed me. You know, and they'd tell, yeah, Dad. Then he took the bread. We read about it in the New Testament. He took the bread and he broke it. And he handed it to his apostles. And he said, eat this. This is a symbol of my body that will be broken for you. And as often as you do it, you're going to remember and proclaim me. They had no idea that night what Jesus was talking about. After his resurrection, they knew fully what he was talking about. But he's like, I'm, I'm going to give my life for you. My body is going to be broken apart because I love you. Dad's like, I'm like, Dad, that's good. Oh, it's not the best part. Okay. <laughs> and then he held up the cup of redemption, the third cup. 
And he drank some and he handed it to his apostle and he said, drink this. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is being shed for you for the forgiveness of sin. And he drank and he told him, drink all of it. Drink all of that in. Because God's going to separate your sin as far from you as the east is from the west. And my blood is going to cleanse you and set you free. Oh, Dad, that's good. Yeah, it's not the best part. He said, then he held up the fourth cup, the cup of fulfillment. Now, when they were in the Passover, when the apostles would meet, when all those Christians in that early church would meet, they would talk about Moses and when God set Israel free and God let them cross the Red Sea and he took them to their own land. And God's like, I'm going to be your God and you're going to be my people and I'll set you in your own land and you will be free. And, God, and he fulfilled that. And they would drink that cup and say, man, God kept his promises. He has been so good to us. But Jesus picked up that cup. And that was that last cup. And he said, and you can read about it in your New Testament. And this cup, I'll not drink again until I drink it with you in my Father's kingdom. And Jesus sat it down and went out to the Mount of Olives and was crucified on a cross. What he was saying was, your home is not here. Your life is not fulfilled on this earth. But one day, I'm going to come back for you. And I'm going to take you to heaven. And together, you and I are going to drink this cup. And we're going to say thank you to my father for saving your soul. And dad said, I don't have long now. My life on this earth is short. It won't be long, and I'll be drinking that cup with my Jesus telling my Father, thank you, thank you, thank you. This is why we gather. This is how we encourage each other. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heavens, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. That's why we meet. That's why we gather. Life is short. Life is short. You're strong today. You're going to be my age. I'm going to be my dad's age. And this opportunity that we have in front of each other right now is soon going to be gone. Don't waste it. Don't waste the opportunity you have in front of you. Drink all of what God has put before you. You'll never regret it. Number two, together everyone accomplishes more. By, by coming together, we can do way more than what we would all do individually. And so in the picture up above, it's just I got all these scattered people over on the left. And they may each be running after their own path. They may each be going as hard as they can. But when you all come together... You know, you strengthen me and I strengthen you. And what we'll come up with together is stronger than what we can ever individually do on our own. And so he says it this way in Hebrews. 
Instead, we'll speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who's head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. That's you. We all have to do what is special, what God has called us to do. It helps the other parts grow. So the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Wow. He's like, man, I designed it so like a, like a body. You, you all come together. Now, if you've hurt, if you've stumped your toe, or if you've you know, broken off a fingernail, or if, if one little part of your body is hurt, all the rest of your body is like, heal it, fix it, stop it. Let's, I mean, it's hard to walk. You hurt your toe, you can't even hardly walk. Your whole body is like, will you stop until we fix that situation and then we're good to go. And he said, this should be the same way with you. We all come together because we're better that way. We're stronger that way. Even John Mayer knows it's always better when we're together, right? <laughs> it's always better when we're together. And so when we can come together as one body in the name of the Lord, and I'm just going to tell you, you're going to transform Pensacola and our foster care crisis because God is going to work in you mighty, powerfully, and you're going to do something in this city so great, only God can get the glory. Amen? That would not happen if we weren't coming together. And so that's why we gather. That's why we get in groups. That's why we share each with lives with each other. That's why we pour into the word of God, pour ourselves out in prayer because we can accomplish way more when together we come together as a body. Number three, we take the responsibility for each other. Taking responsibility for each other. It means that I'm not gonna let you fail. If something's going on in your life that I can see is gonna lead to heartache, I can't be silent. Now, and when I come, I want to come in love. I want to come in, in grace. I want to come in peace. I want to be tender. And you need to do the same for me. We have to refuse to let the enemy take us away. And so we're going to take responsibility for each other. So now I chose this passage out of Titus to read for you. But before we start reading it, let me give you a little background. Titus was this young, fledgling Christian that, that Paul led to the Lord. And Paul started raising him up to be like a pastor, to be an evangelist. And so he raised him, he, you know, he taught him the word of the Lord, he set him on fire, and he took him and put him on the island of Crete. Nobody wanted to go to the island of Crete because the island of Crete was full of robbers. At this time, the island of Crete had pirates on that island. Merchant ships going back and forth across the sea would do everything they could to avoid going anywhere near the island of Crete because as they were traveling with their goods, all these pirate ships that hid in the island of Crete took off. They would overtake a merchant ship, steal all of their goods, kill the people, steal the boat, and then go back to the island of Crete. So nobody wanted to go near. If you lived on the island of Crete, all the men were robbers. All of them were thieves. All of them were pirates. They raised their young boys to learn how to steal, how to pickpocket, how to lie, how to cheat. The young girls on that island had no life. They were not valued at all. This is, this is going to sound awful but if, if you had a, a young girl and she was born into your house, you could put her outside your house, not do anything. Nobody would touch her until she passed away. And then they would take her and get rid of her. And nobody cared. Is that not awful? 
And in the home, the mothers who were a little bit more tenderhearted would drink themselves to, to, until they just, they couldn't even bear the thought of what was going on. No family was faithful. No marriages were faithful. On the island of Crete, cheating was the order of the day. The only thing that was embarrassing on the island of Crete was getting caught. You're not even smart enough to not get caught. I don't want anything to do with you. I'm not going to partner with somebody who doesn't know how to cover their tracks. In walks Titus, and he wants to transform that island and help the people learn to live differently. Now, how do you transform an island of pirates and thieves, broken homes and unfaithfulness, and teach them how to honor the things of God? So Paul writes Titus this letter, and he said there's only one way to do it. You've got to help the people who now are giving their lives to God. They're worn out. They've tried it all the other ways, and it's not working. And now they're saying, okay, I want to, I want to live the way God has called me to live. I want to be different. And these few people, he said, when they gather... They have to take responsibility for each other. And this is the way he worded it. Let's look at the word. Titus chapter 2, starting in verse 1. As for you, Titus, promote the kind of living that reflects wholesome teaching. Teach the older men to exercise self-control. <laughs> Stop robbing people. Stop taking things that don't belong to you. Stop being a pirate. Be worthy of respect and live wisely. Make different decisions. They must have sound faith and be filled with love and patience, which no man did. They thought that was weak, love and patience. I'm not going to be no lovey-dovey, hugging kind of man. It's, I'm a, were you kidding me? He's like, teach them how to be full of love and patience. And similarly, teach the older women to live in a way that honors God. They must not slander others or be heavy drinkers. Instead... They should teach others what is good. Protect your home. Change everything. These older women must train the younger women to love their husbands and children. Stop all the cheating. Live wisely and be pure. Work in your home. Do good and be submissive to your husbands. They didn't even respect their husbands and I've got to go from that to learning how to submit to him. Then they will not bring shame on the word of God. And in the same way, encourage the young men to live wisely. Now that's really good. What I love is how he ends it. You know, with the young men. I'm reading the list and he's like, hey, here's a whole big laundry list for the older men. Older men, I want you to live wisely and live with respect. And learn how to be faithful and learn how to be godly. Older women, I need you to, you, to be faithful and stop drinking and stop slandering. And, do all, and teach the younger women too. Younger women, I need you to be faithful, love your husbands, love your children, secure your home. And then young men, what are we going to do with the young men? I'm only going to give you one thing. Right? I mean, I find that so funny. Old men, big list. Older women, big list. Younger women, big list. Young men, I don't want to overwhelm you. <laughs> Let me just give you one thing. If I can just get you to think before you act, we'll make a lot of headway on this island. 
I, I, mean, I know, you know, in our society, we beat men up a lot. I'm not trying to add on to that, but isn't it true? Man, if we can just get the young men to think before they act, we'd make a lot of progress. And so he's like, we take responsibility for each other. Those of you who, men, those of you who've been walking with the Lord for a while, who are you partnering with that's younger? Teaching them how to be a godly man, how to be faithful to their wife, how to love their children and honor their children, how to, how to walk with respect and integrity at work, how to pour your life into the word of God, how to be a man of prayer, conviction, and holiness. Older women, who are you mentoring that's younger on how to be faithful to their husband, how to not pick apart everything, how to pour into the word of God, protect and pour over your children so that they're covered in the Holy Spirit, how to live a quiet life, how to respect even when your husband gets it wrong. Younger women, how are you partnering with each other to make sure that we're not picking apart our husbands, but that we're honoring them? How do we cover for each other, help each other as we're training our children to learn how to love each other? And younger men, <laughs> do whatever you can. <laughs> I'm sorry, I just find that funny. But you know what? We take responsibility for each other. I'm glad I get to be up here and I'm glad I get to speak to you. But the strength of this church is when we pour into each other's lives. How are we going to do that? Here's your opportunity. On the back side of your outline, this is what we're doing today. I'm about to end our message. We're about to pour into just communion for a few minutes. And then we're going to go downstairs and sign up. And here's our goal. I want everyone to sign up for a small group. Every one of you in here wants you to sign up for a small group. But I don't know that I can go every week. Doesn't matter. I might not be able to go at all. It doesn't matter. Then why do you want me to sign up? Because that's the first step. And you can't take the second step until you take the first step. So this is what I really want you to do. And this is how you can do it. There's a slat wall downstairs. Now you have a card in the pew rack in front of you. And it has a list of all of our small groups. And you can see what's the best night. Who's the teacher that you know and respect. And what the topic is that they're going to be doing a small group on. And then you can go downstairs. And Amy and Savannah have created this slat wall that has all the information that you need about that group, where it meets, what time it meets, how long it meets, whether it's childcare or not. And we really want, or, and we want you to get involved in it. Or you can go to our Share Faith app. And so you can get our app on your phone. If you're online, you go to FCC Guest. It's not a password. Just go there and, and, and refresh. If you haven't refreshed, if you have an iPhone especially, refresh our app, and it will pull up our small groups. Go where it says sign up. It'll bring up a small group icon. Click on it, and it'll give you two options. Our fall semester in 2018, which is complete, or our new spring 2019 small group. You click on it, and it'll give you a list of the 25 or so small groups that we have. And it will give you all the information that you need. Get all of that information. And then, number two, register at a table. Downstairs, we have set up all these tables, these tent cards, these sign-up sheets. The leaders are going to be sitting behind them. You can meet the leader, and we want you signing up, registering at a table. We want everybody to do that because we believe in it so much. I know it's, it, it's going to be the strength of your life. And then finally... I want you to attend for at least a month. 
for at least a month, I want you to attend. Just all the fed. Now, they start this week. If you sign up for a Sunday group, they start tonight. Talk to the leader. But it starts this week. But I really want you to attend for at least a month. If after a month, you come back and say, that small group didn't help me at all. I'm no closer to God. I'm no closer to people. My relationships aren't any deeper. Didn't help me at all. Then I give you permission to wait until we start small groups all over again in the summer. But I know that if you'll do it for a month, you'll begin to see the value in it. Oh, boy. This is a great opportunity. And we want everybody in a small group. That's the backbone of this church, which strengthens relationships. Before we leave, though, I want us to spend this time around the communion, around this that Jesus gave us. Here in just a second, I'm going to ask you to stand. And when we come, I'm going to pray with you. You can just come up and receive communion. You can just take it yourself, you and, and your family, or whoever's with you, your friends. And we'll take the piece of bread and say, Jesus, thank you for shedding your life, breaking apart your body so that I could live. Thank you as we drink the cup for your blood that washed away my sin. And then we'll have our prayer team over in the corners. And so if you want to pray with somebody, you just come up and pray with us. Or you can go back to your seat and pray. There are cards, prayer cards that you can write out if you have a special request. Or you can have your own prayer time. But for the next little bit, we're just going to spend time in prayer. Tell Jesus thank you. And then when they're ready, Leland will help you and we'll go downstairs and we'll all sign up for a small group. Will you stand with me? Will you go ahead and stand? Lord God, thank you for your overwhelming grace. You have been so good to us. The joy that we can feel in our life is because you have set us free. Your, your forgiveness is overwhelming to us. The fact that you remember our sin no more is so good. It sets us free. And we want to tell you thank you. Right now, as we begin to celebrate this communion, the way that we eat this, this cracker that symbolizes Jesus' body or this cup of juice that represents his blood, we're just telling you thank you. And we offer up our prayer and our praise to you. Thank you for hearing our prayer. Thank you for setting us free. And together, as we prepare to sign up for small groups and gather in homes and just share life with each other. Thank you for designing church. We love you, God. We give you our lives. Thank you for your overwhelming grace. In the name of Jesus, amen. This is your time. Come, share in communion. Mm -hmm.